Well, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice M., and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, February 22nd, 2016. Today we're reading from the Big Book, and we're in chapter in the chapter more about alcoholism, and we're going to be on page 34 today, beginning with the second paragraph for those who are unable to drink moderately. Today's readers are for the 12 Steps, Anne-Marie M., the 12 Traditions, Sandy L. The readers of the text will be Katie F., Santa H., um, and the third reader will be announced soon. The reference number for Sunday's special edition, that was yesterday at 8.30 a.m., February 21st, 2016, is 8478. That's 8478. Great presentation on a, of a panel presented by a panel on Step 9, how they um, made amends, what to do and what not to do. Okay, our OA preamble, Overeaters Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anne-Marie M. to please read the 12 steps of OA. Good morning, this is Anne-Marie M., compulsive overeater in South Carolina. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation. 
to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. And thank you, Anne-Marie M. I will now ask Sandy L. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Sandy L., currently from Arizona. <clears throat> the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. <clears throat> Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be, should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you for allowing me to be of service. My path. And thank you, Sandy L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study in the big book on page 34, paragraph 2. I will now ask Katie F. to please begin reading. 
Good morning. This is Katie F., a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. Many of us felt that we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And if I could just stop um, because I wanted to, then I could follow a, uh, any number of diets. Um, I went on plenty of diets that did not include any of my binge foods. They were so strict, um, you know, the grapefruit diet, the, uh, you know, just a bunch of crazy different diets that I did. But I had this lurking notion that once the diet was over, I would somehow be able to eat moderately and that I would be able to eat small amounts of foods that I liked and that that was my goal was to um, to stop binging when I ate these foods. Even if I abstained from sugar, um, which I did for quite a long time, um, I still was eating foods that uh, triggered me and started the obsession of the mind and, and uh, unleashed the allergy. But, but the reality is it wasn't, it's not the perfect food plan because if that were the case, then you know, I could just restrict and and be able to clean myself of the allergic foods and and it would work, but it it doesn't work that way. Um, I had to let go of this idea that somehow, someday, I could enjoy my eating. Um, And, you know, this is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And that's where I got to um, at the end of my, uh, you know, the the new bottom that I had to hit in these rooms after being in these rooms for six years. I had to hit a new bottom that um, no matter how much I wished uh, to be different, I had to accept that I wasn't going to be different, that I wasn't going to wake up you know, in a thin body and be able to eat whatever I wanted. Um, and that I had to trust God that if I followed these steps and I followed uh, whatever my sponsor and my other um, guides told me to do to get through situations without picking up the food, that there would be a psychic change. And, there was. and you know, I wish I could tell you the exact moment that that happened, but I can tell you of many, many moments in my history of remaining abstinent um, through thick and thin that God carried me through, um, that my higher power showed up and I no longer had to pick up the food. And the miracle is I no longer want to pick up the food. That lurking notion is gone. I don't have that um, crazy thinking that tells me this time it won't hurt. Let's see how. And with that, I'll pass. And thank you, KDF. Okay, who would like to comment about three minutes on what was read? Chapter Monica. Monica. Okay, Monica D. This is Bella. Can I share? Sure can. Bella. Bella G. Anyone else? Um, Kenny L. Kenny 
that correct? M. M, I'm sorry. Okay. Melissa C. Melissa C. Renata. Didn't hear anybody there. I heard two people. Kim Renata. All right, I have I hear Kim G and then I hear Renata. We'll go with those six. Okay, Monica T, you're up. Good morning, Janice. Thank you uh, this morning for being a moderator and I'm sorry that I jumped in there too quickly. This is Monica T. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Florida. Yet we found it impossible. You know, we have this tremendous, this extremely large urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it. This utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And we are in the chapter more about alcoholism, and this whole chapter is dealing with the mental obsession, the unmanageability part, my, my, my sick, my crazy thinking brain. And no matter how I wanted to do this, how strongly I desired it, and I desired it very strongly, just like probably every single person on this line this morning listening to this, you know, you really want to stop binging. You really want to stop this insanity with the food. You want to put it down and leave it down, but you can't, you know. Um, this is the, and, and you know, we can, we can, uh, I, do the physical part, put down the the binge foods, and then we don't have the physical craving going on that I have to eat, eat, eat. But then my little brain comes in and it says, hey, Monica, I think this is the best idea you've had all day here or all since last week to pick up this food item. It's going to make you feel better. It's okay. You'll be able to have just one. Towards the end, mine would say, eh, just restart tomorrow, Monica. You know? And tomorrow wouldn't come. This utter inability. And I really was sick and tired of being sick and tired. But I couldn't stop this myself. My crazy brain would just give me all kinds of lies and excuses of why it was okay to pick up. You know? I couldn't even trust my own brain. And I love to say this, and you hear it from me every now and then. Number one, I do what I don't want to do. And number two, I don't do what I want to do. I heard someone else say that one time, and I just went, oh, my God. That's it. That, that explains it for me. I am screwed. I am totally powerless over this obsession of my mind and I need a power greater than me because my own history has shown me I couldn't do it on my own no matter how bad I wanted it and I wanted it extremely bad how determined I was how intelligent I was none of that did anything against it only when I turned to this program and to a higher power and that higher power as a result of doing these steps relieved me of this obsession of the mind. Thank you. I pass. And thank you, Monica T. Okay, Bella G, you're up. Thank you, everybody. My name is Bella G, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Janice, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Inability to leave it alone. Yes, I, I know what it is because 
I was there. Yes, before the program, I did so many kinds of diet, and I really wanted to lose weight, and I really wanted to be skinny, and I believed that I can do it. I believed that I have the power, but, you know, with all my promises and with all my desire to 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 stick on the diet, I couldn't leave it alone. My mind was all the time, 24-7, with the food. And I really believe that one day I will be able to to eat everything, any amount, and I will be like other people. And I really believed it, but I couldn't live alone. I remember that, you know, I, I promised to myself, oh, you know, I will take only that small piece and that's it. But I found myself only straightened, you know, the whole cake or the whole bread or any kind of food. My mind was driving me, you know, crazy. Yes, I can do it. Don't worry. Only this small little piece. But I couldn't leave it alone. I just couldn't leave it alone. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that now I am not there anymore. And today, yes, I accept and admit that I really cannot leave it alone when I am connected to my power, to my ego. Yes, then I cannot leave it alone. Today, thank you, God, I choose to be connected to my higher power that I call him God. And this loving and accepting power Yes, and today I know I I am powerless because I am human. And today I choose to be connected to a higher power, higher than myself. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Okay, thank you so much, Bella, Bella G. <clears throat> Pardon me, Ken M., you're up. Hi, my name is Kenny M, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, it says, for those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. Now, um, once I first started coming to Overeaters Anonymous, I was doing real good, like not picking up my binge foods and stuff like that. But then I started picking up my business food and it led to this and it led to that and it led to this. And I just could not do it on my own. I had lost like 60 pounds. And come to find out, I gained 20 of it back. And I'm really upset about that. But um, I know I need to um, connect with my higher power to help me to deal with this compulsive overeating and stuff like that. I'm I'm really um I really need to put down my things and um and start um eating right. And that's all I have to say, and I'll pass. Thank you. Kenny M., 
Thank you. Um, okay, Melissa C., please, you're up. Hi, good morning. Can I don't know, can you hear me clearly? Yeah, I can hear you, but I'm going to have just a gentle reminder. If you are not speaking at this time, or if you're not speaking, please keep your, your phone muted by pressing star 1. Thank you. Somebody is unmuted, and uh, Melissa C., it's your turn. You'll be speaking. Hi. Hi. Good morning. That must have been the noise I was hearing. This is Melissa C., a recovered compulsive overeater in New York, and have the utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the desire. You know, I could not do that without without a higher power, without a spiritual transformation, because the need to stop eating and the desire to stop eating wasn't enough. You know, for me, um, being over 300 pounds, you know, and, and having blood pressure that was through the roof and a doctor lecturing me, that wasn't enough. You know, I still drove home on the way home in tears and stopped off and got something to eat because I needed relief from that pain of being told the hard truth that I was killing myself, and um, and I needed just one more binge, you know, in my mind, I was just going to do this one more time, um, you know, and so the necessity or the desire isn't enough, and I'm thinking so much now, um, you know, when I came back to um, LA about seven years ago, I, I it was after a doctor lecturing me, and he sat me down and said, you've got to have the gastric surgery. There's no other way that you're going to do this. And um, and so I took the number of that doctor and I did some research. And um, and thank God, you know, I had had um, experience with Overeaters Anonymous before. And I knew there was nothing broken with my intestines or with my stomach or my digestive system. What was broken was my thinking, my head, my, not me. I was broken. And um, and so I know that I'm so grateful I didn't go to that way, you know, because a, a man-made solution, um, surgery for this person would not have cured me. And, um, you know, I someone called me um, wanting me to talk to someone thinking about the surgery because I didn't do it. And they're like, see, you don't have to do it. And all I asked that person was, do you think that that would be enough to get you to stop? Um, I haven't heard back from that person, but that's okay. I can keep it in my prayers today. And thank you. With that, I'll pass. And thank you, Melissa C. Okay, Kim G., you're up. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or wish. You know, I think back to that doctor's opinion where it tells us, you know, our alcoholic life is the only normal one. And that's what I did for many years. I surrounded myself with people that ate like me. So I thought that what I was doing was okay. You know, in college, if I went into a room and I was the biggest person, I would just leave the room. Well, let me tell you, by the end of college, there wasn't many rooms I could go into. So what I would do is I would create this false sense of control. I'd create a red line. Okay, when I finish high school, I'm going to do something about this food. 
I finish high school and I give myself this illusion that I could control it. No, 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 I'm in college. Give myself this red line. When I get to a size 18, I'll do something. I get to a size 18. You know what? I really think it's a size 20. You know, I hit 200 pounds. That's my red line. I give myself this delusion. No, no, no. It's really 225. But when I really wanted to stop, when I knew that I could not do this any longer, I was terrified because this time I meant it. And I had an utter inability to leave it alone. I wanted to cease forever, and I found it impossible. That's kind of what we're talking about when we reach our bottom. And our bottom, is, to me, is not a physical location. It's when we recognize that we have an utter inability to leave it alone. So I just want to describe to you this moment that I knew that I had an utter ability to leave it alone. Now, at the time, I didn't know it. Only retrospectively, being a recovered person, I recognized this as, as that moment when I knew that I couldn't leave it alone. I had, I was, um, had an ankle injury. I was bed-bound in incredible pain. Only way that I could feel relief was to have my foot above my head, and I'm in my bed, and I have to go to the bathroom really bad, and I think to myself, I'm just going to pee in the bed. I can't do it. I cannot get up and go to the bathroom. And 15 minutes later, I think to myself, I really would like some pasta. And I get up from that bed and I walk to my kitchen, which let me tell you is twice the distance to my bathroom. And I sit there and I boil water and for 10 minutes I make that pasta. And when I realized that what, what my bottom was, was the fact that I was willing to pee in my bed and that wasn't a problem. But the thought of getting my food, I was willing to go through that pain. And that's when I understood that I was going to go to any length to get my binge foods, regardless of the consequences. And that was when I knew I had to find a different solution. So the utter inability to leave alone is impossible and tremendous urge to cease forever. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Kim G. Renata G., it is your turn. Hi, Janice. Good morning. Thank you for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive Reader in New York. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are, we are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Uh, and I apologize for the background noise. Uh, you know, for me, what I realized today is that for the longest time, I didn't really want to stop. You know, I wanted uh, to be free of the consequences of overeating, but I wanted to continue to overeat. I wanted to continue to eat my binge food and just, you know, be happy, joyous, and free and skinny. And that was not possible. You know, um, I realized that when I, you know, like Katie said, I couldn't stop just because I wanted to, right? Like when I made the decision that I wanted to stop, I realized that I could not stop on my own. But when I was really serious about getting well, not just losing the weight, not just feeling a little bit better, then I did what the recovered people did. You know, I got really honest about my food. I stopped trying to control it. I stopped trying to work this program Renata's way. And I really surrendered to to the process. I really surrendered to whatever my sponsor told me to do. But... When I wanted to, to do it my way, I just wanted to feel some relief and do whatever I wanted to do, but get, you know, continue to do the, the same things I've always done and get different results. And that did not work for me. 
You know, it's like it says, you know, in the big book, you know, half measures avail us nothing. That that was my reality. Until I surrendered 100% to what I was learning in this mini, nothing changed. You know, nothing really changed. I had to let go of my old ideas, my old beliefs. You know, my fear of picking up that first bite had to become greater than the fear of not overeating. And then, you know, work the steps like if my life depended on it. And that's the only way I ever found relief. And my reality today is the same of the people that shared before me. Today, thank God, I do not want to eat my binge food. And uh, it's all because of the steps. With that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you, Renata G. Okay, is there anyone else that would like to comment on what was read before we go on? Okay, I think we can go on. All right, Santa H, please. Hello, Janice. Hi. Go ahead, Santa. This is Raquel, if it's still possible. If not, I'll pass. Well, Raquel, Raquel, we're going to go on to the next uh, paragraph. And then you can okay. you can um, you can certainly um, share at that time, okay? Okay. Go ahead, Thanks. Santa. Mm-hmm, you're welcome. Good morning. Can I be heard, Janice? You can. Okay, great. Good morning, everybody. My name is Santa H. A grateful, truly grateful recover, not cure, compulsive overeater, living in the solutions one day at a time. From New Jersey, calling in from Georgia. How then shall we help our readers determine? to their own satisfaction, whether they are one of us. The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, but we think we can render even a greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. So we shall describe some of the mental state that precedes a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of the problem. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? Friends who have reasoned with him after a spree which had brought him to the point of divorce and bankruptcy are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he and of what is he thinking? Okay, what they're doing here, they're setting this up to the two great stories you're going to hear from Jim and Fred where... They, he show, they show us that we eat whether we're happy or we're sad. And so, but the biggest thing is, which is I like here, and it brings me to my personal experience, is um, the crust of our problem is our thinking. And both of these gentlemen, just as me, went through these steps, became newly recovered, but didn't continue living in 10, 11, and 12. And that was me. And it goes back to the crux of my problem. The way I see it, my sort of thinking, it starts always back to my food. And for me, it's the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, the double whammy that the doctor's opinion talks about. And it's for me, it's bottom line for me, allergy is to fat. It's the store of fat um, that my body craves um, being 256 pounds in a small body frame. That was what I crave. And I remember back then someone shared with me that I was actually wearing my pain. And I was offended by that, but not realizing that the pain was stored fat in my body. And so that really hasn't really changed. And, and, you know, I go through the steps and I have this strange insanity of holding on to these nuts um, in my diet for some reason, thinking that's the only protein there is. 
And I had to eventually give that up. Um, so it was part of me was changing my thinking around my foods because it was me controlling the fat. And then it's this mental obsession that comes in and lets me know that, you know, I can still have some sort of control over my life. And so it's the problems of life, not living life on life terms, that causes me to have these mental um, obsessions that wants to lead me back to the crazy eating that I used to do. And so just to share briefly with you something that happened to me recently because, you know, I still have food thoughts and I'm grateful for them, is that I was going through a really bad experience with a medication, side effects, uh, adverse reactions to a medication, and it had really, really took me into a state of a deep depression and um, crazy food thoughts. And the food thought that was in my head was to go back for those nuts and think of how many ways I can get those nuts in my diet. But, you know, what I had to do, what this program is teaching me and what we're going to learn is that I continue to enlarge my spiritual life. And so I reached out for the spiritual energy. I got advice, wisdom. Um, I went into all of the steps that was required to do the work necessary for me to enlarge my spiritual life, change my way of thinking around this medicine, and became grateful for, for it and had to just constantly look at the circumstances from a different point of view that led me back to uh, neutrality and no longer the food, the food thoughts went away. So that's the crux of my problem is controlling my food and controlling life and not wanting to live life on life terms. And with that, I pass. And thank you, Santa H. Okay, who would like to comment for about three minutes on what was read? Tina S. Larry. Sally. I will. Oh, oh, I think I heard, was it Vasa O first? Yep. I, okay, Vasa O. Then I heard Larry. Tina S. And Tina S. Chelsea H. Oh, and Chelsea H. Anybody else? If there's Sally. Irma. And Sally. All right, let's go with those five. And we'll Leia. Have time. And then, Leia, uh, well, there was one before Leia. We'll wait. We'll get uh, these four, five first, and then we'll go on. Uh, to the next group. Vasa O first, please. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Janice, for your service. And I'm Vasa O, grateful, recovered, compulsive, overeater, calling from, from Florida. I'm grateful to be here with every one of you this morning. And uh, I was not, I had been in relapse off and on for years with the food addiction, and there was nothing more that I wanted then to really put the food down. I had a husband, I had a house, I had the three kids, I had the white picket fence around my house, and uh, I've been searching forever how to put the food down, and it's not like I didn't try. Believe me, I, exib- I exhibited all my power to do it, and, and there was uh, no power left for me any longer, and I just surrendered into the food. I was just going to die fat and miserable. It was getting, and it was getting progressive. That was my bottom, you know. I guess that is the bottom, you know. And thank you, God, that he sent me a messenger to my house and told me about Overeaters Anonymous. And I was ready to hear the message. And there was only that, you know, again, the, the big book, I learned about the allergy. I learned about the mental obsession. And there was no hope for me. I, I mean, there was no more hope left, and this was the only hope I had left. I tried everything that I heard of, all the diets, 
you know, and uh, I said I'd better, you know, better do what these people are doing, otherwise I'm just going to die, and I'm going to leave my three young kids with no mother, and I was just ready and willing to just surrender. And that was, you know, yes, I did step one, two, and three because I didn't want to die. And I just threw myself in the 12 steps, you know. That was the beginning. That really was only the beginning, and I haven't left because I've heard many people leave, you know, and I've learned what had happened to them. So I'm I'm still learning. I'm still a student. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Oh, Larry Kay, you're up. Good morning. Thanks, uh, Janice, for your service. Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. So, you know, it talks about, it says, you know, let's describe some of the mental states that precede, that come before this relapse into drinking. Because obviously this is the crux of the problem. Let's drill down to what, what, what is the problem. And uh, it is our thinking. It is our thinking. You know, for me, I can remember after coming into program and, you know, and, and going to meetings and, 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 and working, you know, working the program in the only way that I understood how. And yet I would find myself in my home, you know, just with such a desire. My thinking was driving me to go out of the home and get in my car and drive over to the local convenience store to get my big oversized bag of Fritos and my sugary dessert items, you know. Um, and, you know, I would try to distract myself. I would try to distract my thinking to do that. I was, you know, what I was being driven to do. And, you know, it would work maybe for a few minutes, but I couldn't distract my thinking permanently. And eventually, you know what I would do? I would grab my keys, I would walk out the door, and I would get in the car, and I would drive, you know, the five minutes over. I don't care what the weather was like out. And uh, I would go in and get that bag of Fritos in the, in the box of uh, candy and, and so forth because, the crux of my problem hadn't been dealt with. The obsession of the mind, you can't distract yourself away from the obsession of the mind. You know, I work with people, if, if you're, if you're a, a, you know, driven to do certain things, to steal things, even when you don't need to, you can't distract yourself out of that. The thinking that precedes you to go do the behavior, you know, your action is preceded by thinking. Your action today, someone on this line is going to go binge today, unfortunately. Your action, you, you're not, you don't want to do it right now. In fact, you're probably sure that I'm going to fight it off. I'm not going to do it now. But you know what? The obsession of the mind will drive your thinking to, to do that behavior, that which you don't want to do. That's the obsession of the mind. And that's what this program, these steps deal with is the crux of the problem. Once the obsession of the mind is lifted, it's eradicated, it's driven out, you, your thinking doesn't, it doesn't take me to that place where I've got to go out and get those Fritos. It's gone. It's gone, though. And as long as I remain in fit spiritual condition, it'll remain gone. Thank God for these steps. It's all in the action steps. The whole program is the steps, the action, action, recover, recover, recover. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Tina S., you're up. Thanks, Janice. Tina S., compulsive reader, anorexica from Florida. Yeah, I, too, wanted to talk about uh, where it talks. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse. 
know this is happening before I pick up the food. And, you know, a lot of people had talked about that. And, and so it just reaffirms for me that, you know, I eat on a lie. It's the delusion that this time it's going to be different or I haven't tried this yet and all about I, I, I. And, and the crux of the problem definitely centers in my mind. And, you know, and since lack of power is my dilemma, you know, a sick mind cannot fix a sick mind. I remember when I heard that, I thought, oh, how cool is that? Um, you know, and, and one of the things that I know today, you know, um, my uh, before the last time I came into Overeaters Anonymous, I, you know, I was a compulsive eater most of my life. And then towards the end of my um, being active into my disease, I became anorexic. And, you know, one of the things I certainly remember is I starved my brain and I, I was so perplexed I couldn't think. I couldn't put a sentence together in my mind. And this is where it happened. This is where God came in. And, you know, and all I could do was just what people told me to do. So I couldn't have it. Or so I thought I couldn't have a better thought. And, and that's what happened for me. So it just is so relevant in my case that, you know, my thinking got me here. My thinking will take me back out there. And so today, you know, I try to rely on a partner than myself. And, you know, and, and I have to do that. And it tell, and it's, you know, the, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous gives me the exact, precise instructions on how to do that. And I am so very grateful and forever grateful. And with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you, Tina S. Okay, we're, we're getting go through here. Chelsea, it is your turn. Chelsea H. So I want to unmute, Chelsea. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Chelsea H., a recovered compulsive eater, just for today. And this part of the text here is getting, giving me the information I need to determine to my own satisfaction whether I am actually one of, of a compulsive eater, a compulsive overeater, undereater. I need to look at this information. It's telling me that at the bottom of it all, at the core of the whole thing, has to do with my decision to take that first bite that first compulsive, that bite that leads to the compulsive eating. And despite the fact that my family has reasoned with me, the doctor has reasoned with me, everybody has tried to tell me, you know, you're on your last leg here, you're over 325 pounds and you're growing. You're not getting better. You're about to get on medications that you won't be able to get off from. None of that means anything to me. So how to my satisfaction will I be able to say that I am this? For me, it, would, it required a little bit more work because I didn't want to deal with the spiritual part because I had a preconceived notion that spiritual meant religion. So I bristled. I bristled at it. But after this information is given to me, it doesn't matter what I am. Because the truth of the matter is, is that if when I truly want to stop, I can't stay stopped. If I'm able to um, manage up being able to stop, I cannot do it all together, all together, completely, totally. Can I totally, entirely leave it alone? And I can't, no matter how much I want to. And the great the wish. And it takes me back to page 23, and there's a solution. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body and they've given me the first test to determine whether or not it had to do with the allergy alone that was great it said but they also that first experiment of quitting for a period of time that's wonderful but the greater part of my disease is in my mind so this second test this obsession of the mind they're going to give me examples 
The big book is laid out like a textbook. So now we went through the problem and everything, and now they're going to give me examples of the problem, and then they'll give me the solution, and then they'll tell me what's coming in the next chapter, just the way a textbook does, so I can get to look at the problem. The crux of it all has to do with thinking that dominates, dominates. Nothing else can get in there. It's the dominant thought. I've got to get something to eat. It's my binge food, whatever it is, I've got to get that effect. I've got to get that effect, and I'll jump through hoops to do it. So now the question is, am I really ready to quit once and for all? And do I really want to find out why it's baffling? Or do I still have more eating to do? So this information here is letting me know this is what the setup is. We're about to give you examples to show you what we've been talking about is the crux of your problem, that inability to leave it alone without spiritual solution. And for me, that's how it worked out. Thanks a lot for letting me share. With that, I pass. And thank you, Chelsea H. Sally A., it is your turn. Thanks, Janice. Good morning, a vision for you. And um, I'm going to speak to this. these last sentences on each of these paragraphs. It speaks to the crux of the matter is what was going on in our head, the mental state. And um, finally, in the next paragraph, it says, and what is he thinking? And that is really what I've been thinking a lot about lately. What was I thinking before that? After five years of being abstinent, what was I thinking that led me to have that one slice of pizza that turned into a 100-pound-plus weight gain? And the mental state that we go into, the, the crux of the matter, for me it was I did not live in today. I lived in my mind. I lived in the past. I lived in my memories, and I lived in the future. My mind was constantly wandering between the past, my regrets, and my fear of the future. I was trying to be prepared for what might come. So I was driven by a hundred forms of fear, trying to control what might happen based on the past, based on my fear of the future. And I believed that I had this gift of discernment. I knew exactly what you were thinking. I could read your mind. I could read your facial expressions. I was all-knowing. And this contributed to my fear and my, my attempts to control. How can I control you? How can I control what would happen? All because I had this, this driven by a hundred forms of fear. I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. I was tightly wound like a wire that was overwound. Could I relax? Could I rest? Huh? Could I be calm? What about the storm that was in me? And ultimately, as it was, has been said by so many, when I was tired, I ate. When I wasn't sure of what to do, I ate. When I, where should I go? What should I say? What should I do? I ate. And the interesting thing is that this perplexing mindset of when not knowing what to do, I would turn to the food. That was the sick relationship that I had with the food. And that's what we exchange through the, the 12 steps. That's what we exchange for a relationship with our higher power. So now where I used to think, what should I eat? What should I do? What should I eat? What should I do? This constant pervasive thinking has now been exchanged for what should I do? I go to God. What should I say? I go to God. What should I do next? I go to God. That's the change from yesterday to who I am today. Thanks for letting me share. Pass. And thank you, Sally A. Okay, I heard someone prior to um, Leah. Who was that? 
or did I not? Okay, we're going to have Leah M, and then will there be somebody else that would like to share? James. James. James what? What's your first initial, James, to your last name? James C. James C. All right, let's go with those two for now. Leah M, it's your turn. Thanks so much, Janice. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? You know, I came into Overeaters Anonymous at age 19 and uh, automatically identified in to what people were sharing in the room, knew I was a compulsive overeater, had no trouble identifying myself as a compulsive overeater, but I did not understand the grave nature of my illness. I didn't understand uh, how this disease would continue to drag me into the depths and darkness and mayhem of compulsive overeating. Um, I didn't understand that the disease would continue to progress. I didn't understand the exact nature of my problem. Therefore, I didn't realize the seriousness of my condition and the urgency and necessity for the solution that's presented in these in these pages and the big book and someone in whom the problem had been solved gave me an education. It gave me an education that, you know, everybody focuses on the problems compulsive overeating causes, you know, the weight gain, the uh, high cholesterol, the heart conditions, but that really didn't help me understand compulsive overeating at all. The real problem uh, the big book teaches me is that even after all the damage that occurred in my life, even after all the suffering, even after all those medical consequences, even after the disease itself was explained to me in excruciating detail, I still would go up and pick up that first bite. I didn't understand that powerlessness really, really meant when I was not compulsively overeating. The real area when I was powerless was when even after I learned about the disease intellectually, even after all the tears and suffering, I still could not go through life without picking up that first bite for me. I didn't understand that it was the thinking that dominated me. I kept focusing in on food and weight was going to be the solution. I didn't realize that you can't solve a spiritual problem with a physical solution. I didn't realize I needed a new mind, a spirit-guided mind to be dominated by. I didn't realize that I was going to get that through the process of the 12 steps. And that realization was a step one for me, that I was doomed not because of the allergy of the body, but because of my mental obsession. And I began to realize with the help of the recovered uh, compulsive overeater who brought this text to life and these pages, that I was doomed because of my mental obsession. I began to realize that the only solution that would ever work with me is something that would get rid of the mental obsession. And I knew that I could not do that by myself because I couldn't stop the thinking that kept sending me back to those foods that were killing me. So I needed um, to be dominated by something else. And that was where the 12 steps and the necessity and urgency for this process of transformation, it became clear to me. And with that, I pass. Thanks. And thank you so much, Leah M. James C., it is your turn. Star one to unmute. Yes, thank you very much. James C. from Ohio, recovered compulsive overeater. 
Um, <laughs> what sort of thinking dominates us? That's correct. Um, friends who have reasoned with him after a spree, which has brought him to the point of divorce, bankruptcy, are, are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. And why does he? Um, it's always the question. And for me, it's, um, you know, it, it's just an amazing process in, in the way my thinking was prior to program. I had to exhaust my thinking. I had to exhaust the question. Because I always asked the question, why was, you know, I thought I was special. I thought I had a high metabolism. I thought I could punish myself by doing 20-mile runs, 15-mile runs, um, fasting for whatever reason. Um, but I thought, I thought all those made me special. And I always asked the question, why wasn't I able to get away with it? Why did, why did this compulsion continue in spite of, yeah, personal bankruptcy? Because, see, my compulsive behavior shows up in my spending as well. Oh, and yeah, I, 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 re I just made a wreck of about three marriages. Yeah, that, that's a part of the compulsive behavior. Um, you know, I, I not only have it naturally, but I have it spiritually because I was bankrupt spiritually while yet dressing up, wearing suit and ties, and sitting in churches. Um, bankrupt mentally, didn't have the answer for myself, couldn't help anybody else. And if I did, it was by accident. It wasn't by intention. Um, you know, why was I not able to get the best of both worlds was always my question. And until that question got exhausted, until I finally gave up and threw up the red flag and says, I give up, I says, I want the best of both worlds. I want to eat what I want to eat. I want to treat people the way I want to treat them. And I want to see God the way I want to see God. I want my own understanding of God. Now, I don't want the reality. I don't want what people are telling me. That's okay. Um, I, you know, beyond that, I, I just want to just say, you know, I, I wanted to live beyond the fringes of reality. I lived in my own dream world. And, you know, I've come to a place as the, as, at the end of my step processes, and, I, and trust me, I'm nowhere near perfect and nowhere near done. But what I am on is I'm on a journey, I'm on a process and a progress, and I'm not ashamed of my past, and I'm looking forward for the first time to my future. Yeah, good news, guess what? The unexpected is going to happen. Newsflash. I'm going to have challenges. I'm going to have situations of thinking that I didn't know existed. Problems are going to surface up that I thought were already addressed. But guess what? I now have a God that walks with me that I can overcome these things by. And I am no longer having to exhaust the question of, of ignorance. I'm now able to ask better questions as a result of uh, this program with this spiritual awakening. And with that, I'll pass. This is James C. from Ohio. Thank you very much. And thank you, James C. We have a minute left. Does there anybody want to take that minute? Okay. Mark. This is, go ahead. Who is that? Mark. Mark, a minute. Please go ahead. Thank you. Mark what? What's your first initial? To your uh, last name. Um, H. Mark H. Go ahead, please. Uh, so after I read this passage, uh, I focused in on the mental state and decided that I would try an experiment and I would punish it uh, when it came into my consciousness. And I got a box of baking soda and put it in the refrigerator. And uh, my roommate happened to bring home a pie that day, and he wasn't there. And when I went to the refrigerator to sample it, 
uh, the baking soda was there, and I put a teaspoon, a tablespoon in my mouth, and uh, uh, the room started to swirl around me, and I felt like the planets were leaving their orbits, and I, I could hardly stand. I had to lean against the counter, um, and that passed, and, I, I, and then I ate the pie. So I learned that um, punishment uh, or attempted punishment uh, of the state of mind, the, the strange mental blank spot, the mental twist, uh, did not remove uh, any of those uh, uh, conundrums, uh, the heart of the matter, the crux of the problem. The state of mind persisted anyway. And then I was left with, a, uh, with the last sentence in this chapter, which says that uh, at certain times uh, the alcoholic has no mental defense against the first drink. His defense must come from a higher power. Thank you. And thank you, Mark H. Okay, and thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Chelsea H. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Can you hear me, Dennis? Oh, I can, Chelsea. Okay, great, thanks. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.